Dead Bodies is not for the squeamish and is intended for mature audiences. We're back for another episode of Dead Bodies Podcast. How have you been? Obsessed with trying to work out where you are going to hide a dead body because I'll tell you why. I was watching a, um, a documentary thing on the Titanic where they, with computer images, drained away the water and there's the hull of the ship and it's rusting. And, and But all I could think about was... The, because families of, of Titanic victims, we can call them, can't we? They consider that to be a graveyard, but where are the bodies? And there's things still there. And they even found a notebook that a 15-year-old boy had been writing in, but nobody's where have the bodies gone. Are you hiding? Is your place to hide a dead body at the bottom of the ocean? No. And it's actually a spot that no one, it's not, I haven't taken it from a murder I've covered or from a movie. I've never seen or heard of anyone using that spot. Does it involve chemicals? Oh, it's a spot. It's a spot. It's a place. But. Hang on, would you, so would, would you place the whole body? Not going into it. So, because I can't tell you because I've never told but anyone. And I haven't, up, I tell my partner, Nicholas, everything, everything in my life. And I haven't told him that because what if I need to put him there one day? You have to get, no, look, I have to be able to have some clues to, no, and to I guess think, it. it. So is the body whole? I don't know. It depends because well, uh, it's definitely not the murder location. Is it rolled up in a carpet? Mm, they always are in movies. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, and it's so, and every time you want to know where I would hide a dead body or yes. where I would get rid of a dead body, I think of it instantly. And there are the odd occasions. <laughs> it's going to sound really Pink weird. Why, yes. There are the odd occasions where I will go to <laughs> that area. <laughs> Yes. And it sounds like I'm visiting it often, yes. but I'm not. But there is the odd occasion where by chance perhaps I will be in that kind of area because it, it's not a specific – I'm crazy. It's not a specific spot where it's like, oh, I know exactly where it is on the map. That area happens in different locations. Like, it, oh, I'm sounding not no, okay. No, okay, but I'm bringing it in closer to the city. I was imagining it was some, like, dis- top of a mountain or um, off a cliff somewhere or something. I can't go I can't go into it any further with you. But I will say that maybe Why I Why not? I know lots of homicide detectives and I could maybe ask them if they thought it would be a good spot, but then that's kind of dumb because then a homicide detective would give evidence of my murder Oh, they'd be giving say, you side eye. They'd well, be going like, whoa. Miss Bella ran her spot past me. And I said it would be a very good spot. So then when I heard she had been arrested, we took her to that spot and she got out the body. Don't know why I did that voice, but (laughs) I imagine that's what would happen if I made a trial. We're in England. Have you ever seen a dead body? We've been asking you that. We've had some emails, deadbodiespodcast at gmail.com. You know, let's talk about it and find out how did you cope? What did you see? And what was your experience? We have on the line with us now a guy by the name of Hugo. Now, Hugo's seen three dead bodies, Chanel, in his life, which is three more than I've ever seen. That's right. Um, one of them more notable than the other. Hugo, hi, how are you going? Good, thank you. Good. Three dead bodies. How, 
Tell us about two of them before you get to your main story. Well, tragically, tragically, uh, the most recent I saw was uh, a suicide. I was the person closest to the victim when it took place and uh, witnessed it, I suppose, from about six seconds before before it took place. So it was uh, an incredible shock at that point in time. That must be uh, really difficult, Hugo. Is that something? So you saw the person, did you kind of become aware of what they were about to do? Uh, I heard it uh, and I heard them coming and turned around and they landed beside me which was um, pretty, pretty much of a, an enormous shock at that point in time and because uh, they landed very, very close to me and I was the only person pretty much in proximity by nearly 100 yards to anybody else. I had no idea what was going on until I sort of gathered my thoughts and thought, what on earth has happened? That's so, a life-changing moment for anyone. Yep. Um, how are you, I guess, how are you and how are you dealing with that? I was given, by the paramedics at the time, they gave me some suicide um, prevention advice, Mm -hmm. or victims of suicide advice it was at the time, Mm. and they also took a number of details of mine and said that people would be getting in touch with me. And what transpired was I found myself sitting on the side of um, the South Eastern Freeway 10 days later in tears, and uh, rang them, rang the suicide uh, crisis line and just said look I'm in trouble here and they they said that they had me on their list to call and were surprised that no one had got in touch with me. Anyway the long and the short of it was that um, we worked through that and I saw a psychologist regarding that a little bit and uh, and that's fine and so I've worked it through and I managed to sort of reconcile it and move on which is uh, which is what you do Hugo what what was that feeling what was it that that brought you to tears was it powerlessness or hopelessness Um, or what what was it I didn't know the victim's name Mm. and um, what what I experienced was an overwhelming uh, sense that that the person who had uh, who had committed the suicide had absolutely no one and I sort of had this feeling that no one cared and it uh, and it sort of got on top of me a bit. And in the end, when I found out that in fact that there'd been a funeral with 150 of that person's best friends mm-hmm. and all this stuff, I then went, you know what, I'm fine now mm. because they'd taken it over, and I didn't have to worry about it. And I've been fine ever since that um, that took place. Was that your initial worry that you would, you know, obviously that person had passed away, but you were just worried for what was going to happen next for that person or how they got to that point? Was that what stuck out for you? Yeah, yeah it was, because they were young, um, mm. a young female, and um, it troubled me enormously that um, uh, that this person, I suppose, who was approximately, doesn't matter how old they are, but she was young, mm. um, and for all intents and purposes, from what I could see, she was a very attractive young woman with the rest of her life in front of her, and I thought, what on earth has gone wrong here? So there was some comfort for you in knowing that funeral happened, knowing that that person w- was loved. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, that resolved that resolved it for me. So I managed to I managed to reconcile that, and then I was fine after that. And, yeah, and I've been fine ever since. Oh, I'm sorry I had to go through that. And and that was that was the third of of three dead bodies that you saw. What was the second yeah, one? Yeah, 
Yeah, it was. The second one was travelling overseas. I was catching a train from um, the Amsterdam railway station at about 5am in the morning and I walked into the station and I was the only person there. Uh, my train was arriving about, I don't know, 20 minutes later and I was walking around the station basically with no one, no one in sight at all. And as I walked past a row of telephone booths, there was a body that had fallen out of the doors of one of the telephone booths just lying on the ground in front of me and I walked over and it appeared that it had been, for what I could understand, a, a drug overdose of a young guy. Mm. He'd been there for a while so I went and found some police who were walking around and I can't speak Dutch but it didn't really matter. Did you think about that man when you left about, you know, I guess it, it was. it's very different to the one that we've just spoken about previously. But did you think about him, what his name was? Did you have those same sort of thoughts? Not so much. Not mm. so much because I felt that I was merely a conduit for the information and that it was not my, mm. it was not my responsibility being a, being a foreigner. Um, I felt that uh, because I was there and there was no one else around that I, ha- I, I certainly had to go and I couldn't just walk away. I had to deal with it. But once I dealt with it and the police basically said, look, that's fine, mate, we've got this in hand, you don't need to be here any longer, I was able to step away and go, well, mm. you know, it's their, it's their business, it's not my business. I merely happened to stumble upon this. And, yeah, it's a tragic thing, but, um, but uh, <clears throat> you know, it was... It was Less of a shock to me than um, than suicide. That is for sure. Yeah, mm. less emotion involved. It sounds like. But the th- Absolutely. The, the third body that we wanted to talk about uh, with you, there was a lot of emotion involved. Tell us about that. I was fairly young, and I met a young girl who was 21 years old, who lived in a um, in a, I suppose, a, what is an attic or a loft, for the want of a better word at the back of a shop that I was uh, renting for my business at the time. And one night, uh, she was heading out on what was a blind date, and she never came back. And um, I was phoned by somebody that she was working with. About four days later, I'd noticed that she hadn't been around, and they rang me and said, we're very, very concerned that she hasn't turned up to pick up her pay. And I went looking for her and um, found her, and she'd been she'd been killed. So where did you find her, Hugo? I found her in the room that or the attic that she'd been living in, and uh, I went there with um, the fellow who was the owner of the premises at the time because I spoke to him and said I was worried about the fact that she'd gone missing, and he had a spare key to her attic. So we we climbed up the ladder. It was a vertical ladder, and opened up what was effectively a latchway, and we found her there on the ground, on the floor of the premises. Do you remember your feelings when you saw her? I do. Yeah, it was. Uh, I, I went into absolute shock, and when I went into shock, I then became quite uh, mechanical about it, and went through a number of uh, scenarios. One of which was to stop and catch my breath and try and understand what I'm actually seeing at that point in time. We spoke to uh, someone in an earlier episode that said sometimes when men see bodies that they don't feel compelled to go up and touch and um, see that person. Did you want to stay away from her or because you knew her, did you want to touch her? Well, what happened was she was covered up. So in order to 
find out who it was, we actually had to uncover her. I always thought that this was who it would be, and it was. Simon at that stage had come up as well. He was quite elderly. He was in his 70s, and he was he was in quite distraught. And I said to him, look, go back down and call the police. And I said that I would stay there and make sure that no one came near the situation. And we went back down and effectively stood there and went, my God, what on earth are we, are we witnessing here? So your mind automatically went to preserving that crime scene. You knew that oh, something... Absolutely, yeah. yep, yep. We just went, OK, no one comes near here. And there were some other employees who sort of started to come over and we said, you're not to come anywhere near this. Hugo, I mean, I don't imagine you were able to determine on finding her, but but were you aware of whether it was a murder or whether she had taken her own life or what had actually taken place? Oh, no, that's a really good question. What went through my mind was that there is no way anyone can die and then wrap themselves up. Mm, yeah, that's really okay. interesting. Yeah. And that went through my mind instantly. I went, oh, my God, fathers, you know, if you're dead, you can't then wrap yourself up. Someone has been here and done this. And that's what, that's what had happened. So when the police got involved, what yep. then did your role become? Did you just step back or oh, did they want to speak to you about what you uh, found? They, oh, no, they spoke to, they spoke to me. Um, the perpetrator of the crime wasn't found for another four years and the police spoke to me on a regular basis about what took place. And so the police came back initially every month for about the first 12 months and then after that it was about every three months they'd come back and just completely review the site and scour over everything and they did that until such time as the guy was caught. When you say they spoke to you on a regular basis, were they interviewing you? Were they, were they informal chats or were they both? They were, they were informal chats. They were informal chats. The, ch- the police were brilliant with me. Um, they, were, they were courteous. They were kind. Did you them. feel, though, that they, they were looking at you as a suspect? Yeah, absolutely. For how absolutely. long? For how long did you feel that way? Um, I felt that. I felt that for the four years, actually, because they didn't understand what had happened to this girl, um, because it was such a, it was a fairly sinister crime, and they ended up having to get advice from all sorts of other people outside of the mainstream to try and reconcile what on earth was taking place. And I think I was probably just on a list of 40 people. When you find her, it's obviously shock and sadness and then I would imagine terror because you realise, as you said, that you couldn't have wrapped yourself up in a, ba- in a blanket like that. No. What is the feeling when the, you know, the penny drops and you think, the police are looking at me, I'm, I'm a suspect? They never said so. Mm. I, I made the deduction. I thought the purely by the fact that they kept coming back, mm. that, that they would have. Now, my father at that time was in the law, and I spoke to him on the day that I found her body. And I rang him up and I said, oh, my God, Father, this has happened. And his advice to me was, he said, are you involved in this in any way, shape or form? And I said, no, I'm not. He said, then you've got nothing to fear. Mm. Just, just, yeah. just go along, answer their questions, do what they ask. You have nothing to fear if you've not done anything wrong. Just do it. And so, because I had nothing to fear, because I hadn't done anything wrong, went went along with it and never felt concerned at all. But I thought, yeah, look, I'd have to be on, on their list. I'd have to be on their list, the same as 
a number of other people. How many people were on the list, Hugo? How many people? I don't know. I'm surmising that it was about 40. For some unknown reason, this happened 35 years ago. For some unknown reason, I have that number in my head. I don't know how many were on the list, but I wouldn't be at all surprised if there was about that many. It was a fairly complicated crime, and it took a long time before the police could could, um, determine who who on earth might have done it. And it sounds like the, the case must have taken a lot of twists and turns and maybe police, as happens in all these long-standing murder cases, head one way and then the case changes and it turns another way. Was that what happened here? And can you tell us about some of the different well, turns it took? Yeah, OK. Well, what, what transpired was the crime, it didn't make sense. As it went along, there were a number of unanswered questions that the police didn't um, weren't able to solve. There were, there were a number of different avenues that, that, they, that they went down. You, you know who, the name of the murderer? Oh, absolutely. It's on the public record. And uh, he's, he's uh, been convicted of a couple of crimes. And uh, anyone that wants to look him up will see it. Well, what can you tell us about how, you know, four years on, how police worked out who the murderer was? He committed another crime, which was not a murder. It was an assault on a woman. When he was in the uh, police station, they cross-referenced his name against a number of other unsolved crimes and his name clearly had bobbed up on a list which I assumed my name probably was on Mm. and uh, they rang the people in uh, homicide and they came over and um, asked the appropriate questions and then discovered that they were dealing with someone of interest. Do you ever think about her Hugo? I mean you said you you had a a friendship of sorts with her. How often do you think about her? Oh, look, I do. I do. I, um, I thought about it. When, when I witnessed the suicide last year, um, all of this came back up again. And I thought about the fact that she had never been able to live her life and do the things that I've been fortunate to do, which is have a family and enjoy a number of things that my life has given me since since that day that I found her and uh, she never had the opportunity to experience it and um, she was robbed of that opportunity and that's, you know, I'm sitting here talking to you today, um, 35 years later and thinking about all of the wonderful things that I've done and she never she never saw that. And that is... And she didn't, des- she didn't deserve that. And so many times I think for... Uh, the friends and family as victims, they they often think about the fact that person no longer gets to live their life and the people that created that situation do. Can you tell us what happened? Is he in jail? Where is he now? What was he sentenced to? Okay, well, he was initially charged with murder and that murder, that murder charge was um, downgraded to manslaughter, which they felt would be far easier to to get a conviction on than had they pursued the murder charge. Yes. He was released from prison, I think, 18 years later and re, re-arrested as he left the prison gates and charged with some subsequent crimes of which he's also been convicted. And uh, I, I'm not sure, but I believe he's still in jail. 
Hugo, you know, I, I know you're choosing your words very carefully oh. and, and, and we're absolutely with you. I mean, this is certainly something to talk about with great sensitivity. But there's yeah. something, um, in my opinion, that's quite nice about knowing that she's not been forgotten. Oh, that, not at all. No, yeah. exactly. Like, and I'm sure her family... Um, do you keep in touch with the family at all? I've never met them. Okay. I've never met them. I went to her funeral and stayed at the back of the funeral um, along with one or two of the police, actually, I might add. Um, they were there as well. I didn't think it was appropriate for me to to be involved in that. Mm-hmm. Um, at that stage, her brother was alive. Um, he he, he uh, died about two days later. Her sister and her brother were there, and I, I didn't know them, and I didn't think it was appropriate for me to go up and speak to them at all. So I've never, I've never met them. I've never spoken to them. Still haven't. No, I don't imagine they'd mind though, knowing that she was part of your life and that you still remember her. And it's obviously, I mean, the way you speak of her, it was obviously with a degree of fondness. So, oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I remember, I remember the night. The, I remember vividly the night um, she came and spoke to me just before she was going on the blind date. She came in and saw me and asked me how she looked and showed me what she was wearing and highly excited and all this stuff as a young 21 year old would be and um she looked fantastic and that was the last time we saw her and uh, you know it was all terrible really hugo we really appreciate you talking to us uh this evening it's been a, quite an extraordinary story and three three mm. i mean some of us have not seen any uh, bodies in our lives chanel's seen tons because she's a crime reporter but <laughs> oh, okay <laughs> But um, you know, yeah. to have to have gone through the shock of that three times, we um, we thank you very much for talking we to really us. Really do thank you so much for your and time. No I'm not coming anywhere near you ever in my whole life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, don't. That's okay. No, Jinx. you'll be fine. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Hugo. On the next episode of Dead Bodies, the man who kept the dead body of his lover, and the man who likes everything clean, especially crime scenes. Dead Bodies is created by D.D. Dunleavy and Chanel Vella and produced by Kirsten Lim Howe. Contact us at deadbodiespodcast at gmail.com.